Part 2, Chapters 18 through 21 of This Katie Globe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kevin Vink. The Reader, read by David Lawrence. This Giddy Globe by Oliver Hereford. Part 2 The Countries of the Earth. The countries of the Earth may be divided into two groups the English speaking countries and the foreign countries. The English-speaking countries, which comprise the United States and the British Empire, occupy one-fourth of the entire surface of the globe. The rest are just foreign countries. Chapter 18. The Poles The Earth has three kinds of poles, the frigid poles in the north and south, and the very hot poles in the center of Europe. This chapter is about the North Pole. The North Pole is the geographical interrogation point of the Earth. It is probably the only absolutely moral spot in the world. Scientists declare it to be the site of the Garden of Eden, thus giving color to the popular notion that Eden was the original roof garden. The only language that has ever been spoken at the North Pole is English. The language that Lieutenant Perry used when he found the footprint of Dr. Cook on the Pole, whatever else it might be, was English. And the language of the next discoverer, when he finds or does not find the footprint of Lieutenant Perry, will probably be English too. Whatever use may be ultimately found for the North Pole, up to the present time, it has only been used for advertising purposes. The frozen tracks that surround it bear the names of adventurers, princes, and editors, and the very topmost tip out of compliment to a well-known pianist and politician has been called the Magnetic Pole. So far as we know, all the disadvantages of the North Pole are shared by the South Pole, but for some reason the South Pole has never been so successful as an advertising medium. Chapter 19. America let us see America first. On a modern map of the Western Hemisphere, America is as easy to see as the decorations on the breast of a rear admiral of a dry dock. One wonders how it escaped being discovered so long. But when you look at this map of the Western Hemisphere, as it appeared about a thousand years ago when Leif Erikson discovered New England, you will understand that discovering America in those days was no child's play. Nevertheless, Leif, the son of Eric, did not think much of his find. How could a low-browed Viking be expected to understand Boston, much less what was going to be Boston in a thousand years? After writing his impressions of America in obscure rooms on a conspicuous rock, Leif pulled up his anchor and sailed home to Norway. No one could decipher the runes, but everybody suspected what they meant, and Leif was justly punished for his rudeness. His statue stands, so run the tale, in the Fenway of Boston to this day. America was not discovered again for nearly five hundred years. Then Christopher Columbus took a hand. But though he made four trips to the New World, Columbus carelessly neglected to write a book or even a magazine article on his impressions of America. A new path in navigation, just as in art or literature, once shown, is easy to follow. And seven years later, an Italian plagiarist named Americo discovered America all over again and copyrighted the whole continent in his own name. By this time, the continent of America had gained considerably in bulk and offered an easy mark to the horde of discoverers who came in the wake of Amerigo. And still they come. And though it is too late to secure a copyright on the continent, they never failed to copyright their impressions of America. Chapter 20. Boston. In spite of many laudable attempts, America was never seriously discovered until the year 1620, when the Mayflower landed in Massachusetts a cargo of heirlooms, Boston Terriers, beans, and ancestors. Thus were established the three leading industries of Massachusetts, the manufacture of genuine antique furniture, and pedigrees, human and canine. Boston is the center of gravity, completely surrounded by Newtons. Boston is also the center of the universe. The great poet Anonymous has immortalized Boston as the home of the bean and the cod, where Lowell's speak only to Kabats and Kabats speak only to God. 
Some say the lines were not written by Anonymous, but by a later poet named Ibid. But what does a poet's name matter except to his creditors? Boston is famous for its historic associations and the landmarks which well repay a visit. Even the quaint and curious Pullmans that convey the traveler thither are relics of a bygone day, and a joy to the heart of the antiquarian. Chapter 21. The United States. The United States is a large body of laughter-loving people completely surrounded by trusts. It is the richest country in the world. Nowhere is food so plentiful, nowhere are the cows so friendly, the hens so industrious. When the American hens die, they go to join their unhatched children in a cold storage heaven where they live forever. So to the cows, so to the fish, if there is room for them. If not, they are turned into fertilizer to keep them from scaling down the market price. To add to the merriment of the people, the sovereign farmers and financiers pass an amendment to the Constitution and Holy Writ, see First Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, abolishing temperance, the sin of resisting temptation. At their bidding, thousands of acres of deadly grapevines have been destroyed, and if these great and good men fulfill their promise, ere long the nation will be saved also from the ravages of the vicious tobacco. We fail to see what this has to do with geography. Well, to return to the United States, the United States is a large dry country, bounded on the north by Canadian club whiskey, on the south by Mexican pulque, and on the east and west by salt water. The population consists of 100 million thirsty souls, some of whom are Americans. Religious to a fault and ambidextrously prodigal, they nevertheless show signs of reverting to the condition of the arboreal anthropoids. A race of Staffingers is developing. At certain hours of the day, they may be seen seeking their habitation in great flocks, swinging from strap to strap with loud cries and a peculiar whirring motion. The original inhabitants were Red Indians. These were supplanted by pale pilgrims, who first settled the country, and then settled the Indians. The Indian practice of painting and wearing feathers shocked the pilgrim fathers and pilgrim mothers, but the pilgrim daughters made a note of the fashions for future use. The climate of the United States is bracing and stimulating. Travelers have even been known to compare the air to champagne, but though highly exhilarating, it is absolutely non-intoxicating. Prohibition chemists, after a careful analysis, have discovered no perceptible trace of alcohol. The Anti-Saloon League has decided that the youth of the atmosphere shall be in no way restricted. In large cities, the sky is kept clean by means of tall skyscrapers. Nowhere is there a more impressive example of American inventive genius than the array of skyscrapers seen from New York Harbor, day and night, year in, year out, scraping away the germ-laden dust and refuse and imparting a bright and cheerful gloss to the surface of the sky. Another object of interest in the harbor is the statue of a once popular favorite. People who remember her say it is far from a flattering likeness. The capital of the United States is Washington, named after a famous Britisher who won American independence from George III, the fat German king of unsound mind then holding down the English throne. New York is the tallest and the noisiest city in the world. It contains over 5 million people, speaking a babble of 20 different languages besides English. The inhabitants of America are the most moral and patriotic people in the world, and their army is second none in bravery and won the World War. End of Part 2. Chapters 18 through 21. Recording by Kevin Vink.